evening, everyone. Good to see you tonight. Privileged to have another opportunity to study another part of God's Word with you. We look forward to that tonight. I'd like to begin by asking you to turn to Romans chapter 10, and we're going to begin with verse 8, and we'll read down through verse 13. Romans 10, 8 through 13. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This morning, uh, our sermon was uh, kind of had the theme of the word of the gospel. And so I'm going to kind of follow that same line of thought tonight. But instead, our topic tonight is going to be the word of faith. You may have picked up on that there in verse 8, the word of faith. What is the basis of your faith? Is maybe your faith based on hearsay? Well, I certainly hope that's not the case. Um, is it maybe based on tradition that's been passed down to you from your parents? You know, we know a lot of people like that that only want to believe what their parents believe. Does it have a basis in some sort of idea that you hold fast to, that you cling to, that you believe is absolutely, uh, positively fact. Well, faith is absolutely a reality. Um, it's, it's a reality, but it's a reality in several respects. It's a reality in the secular world, but it's also a reality, of course, in the religious world. And I would go so far to say it is not only a reality, it's a necessity if we stop and think about how we live our lives. And I'd like you to do that. I'd like you to think about uh, a single day or every single day of your life and just imagine, if you would, the number of things upon which you depend on in that given day which, in which you have to accept by faith. You stop and think about that. That happens often. Faith is a belief that is not based on proof. It's a belief with no supportive evidence. On the other hand, we think of trust. Trust, on the other hand, is something that is based on past experience, similar to faith. Some people would argue they're the same thing, but they're not exactly the same thing. From a secular viewpoint, we put our faith in a lot of things. We put our faith in people. We, we put our faith in processes. Uh, some people put their faith in wealth. Uh, some put it in power. We see that very evident today in our country, don't we? Some put it in science. We see that very evident in our country today. In these days, uh, so often, uh, we all seem to put our faith in technology, don't we? Uh, we lean on that. We need that. That's become an integral part of our lives. And you might argue that these things in which we put our trust and our confidence in as 
really not being things that require faith. Uh, and you and I just take them pretty much for granted. And that's, that's a valid argument. But let me ask you this. When you see, if we leave tonight, we'll go get in our cars, and some of us are going to get out on these two-lane county roads, and you see a car coming towards you in the opposite lane, is it faith or is it trust that tells you that car is going to stay in that other lane and not veer over in front of you? Well, the very first time you had that experience, the very, very first time, it was by faith. But thereafter, you had experience that you could draw on, and time and time again, you gained more experience. And I think we probably understand all these things, but I don't think we understand all of these things that we take for granted. Uh, but we believe confidently in them. And, and we depend on them, even though we, we maybe can't explain them. We don't know how they operate, how they work, or in some cases, even where they come from. We don't think about them that much. We just simply take them for granted. Well, let's come back around to the subject that we really want to focus on, and that is faith. But, but I want to ask you in religious terms, what does your faith rest on? In what is your in religious terms, in what is your faith placed? And is it is it also poss possible that that we take for granted the religious things as well, just like we do in the secular world? Well, the text we've read here this this evening has in it the expression "word of faith." Word of faith. That's why I selected it. I wanted to focus on it. I wanted to focus on the expression here just for a few minutes. However, I'd like for us to turn our attention to some passages uh, that begin with plural words of faith in our Bibles. The first would be Joshua 24:15. It's a passage that all of us are very familiar with. When we, we talk about a great statement of faith, that one ought to come to mind amongst others. But let's read that together. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord... Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you, you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we know who said that. That was Joshua that said that. Listen to those words. Those words are tremendous. They're tremendous words of faith from, from one of the great servants of God. And... He, he's one of those servants whom perhaps we do not consider as that group of great, great ones, you know, great, great servants. We don't necessarily put him in that. He, he lived under the shadow of Moses, yet he was truly a, a great servant. Words of faith. We just read words of faith. Here's a man who lived virtually all his life with a relationship or in a relationship with God. And it's true, yes, he lived his life kind of under the shadow of Moses until Moses passed on. But regardless, it was a life in relationship with God, and, and he had, had experienced so many things in that relationship. And those things had led him uh, uh, to, this, to this great confidence that we read there in Joshua chapter 24. And I expect that when he learned that Moses was not going to be permitted to enter the promised land, uh, that he was very surprised. 
I would expect that. And then when God placed the responsibility of leadership on him, I would think also he was, he was surprised. But I remember the first chapter of the book of Joshua, how God had to encourage him to be strong and be courageous. And God told him, he said, I will not leave you. And so through the con conquest of the land of Canaan and through the times of, of, of bitter disappointment with the children of Israel, he maintained his faith. Nevertheless, he comes near to the end of his life. And I don't, I don't know about you folks, you know, he, he's saying, I don't know about you folks, you know, you can serve uh, the gods on the other side of the Euphrates if you want to. You can serve the gods of the people of the Amorites in this land where you're dwelling if you want to. And, and by the way, God told you to expel them and you didn't do that. But for me and my family, we're going to serve God. Now let's turn to the New Testament, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, and let's look at uh, verses uh, 12 through 13. 2 Timothy 1, 12 through 13. For this reason I also suffer these things, nevertheless, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know, know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that what, I've, I ha, what I have committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So here in this passage written by the Apostle Paul, we see, we see great words of faith once again. Uh, in verse 13 he goes on to add, Hold fast the form or the pattern of sound words, faith, everything above. For Paul, since he had, since the time that he had obeyed the gospel, he talks about in 2 Corinthians, he speaks uh, of so many of the things that, that he had endured, uh, so many of the things that he had suffered because of the course of his life as an apostle of Jesus Christ, as an evangelist. Also in that list, though, there are even those things he says about the disappointments that he suffered from the brethren. But the question is, what's the alternative there? What, what option was there for Paul? For Paul, there was no option but faith in Jesus Christ, and that's how he stated it. So I want to ask you this evening, what about your words of faith? Are your words of faith just a little bit tentative? Are your words of faith weak? Or are your words of faith so definite that you will hold to your relationship with God throughout all of your life? And no, no matter what comes, no matter what, no matter what, what obstacles put in front of you or what thing you have to suffer, will you do that? Words of faith. But now let's come to consideration of this expression from, from Romans 10.8, words of faith. First of all, the word of faith is the basis for our confidence and our faith in God. In Romans 10.17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Our faith rests in the word of faith, the word of God, that immediately, and that, that immediately tells me that our faith is an appeal to the intellect 
of the individual. Faith is not a feeling. Faith rests in the revealed Word of God. Now, that isn't to say that, that there's no room for in, in faith for feelings and emotions, I'm not saying that. Oh, absolutely, there is room for that. But as a basis for faith, feelings and emotions are very insecure or they change. They change with the day. They change with what's happening on that day. You all know about the feelings uh, and, and you know how sometimes on a given morning, let's say you get up out of bed and you feel great. You know, it's going to be a wonderful day. It's a great day. It's a beautiful day. And you leave your house, you go to your work, and the first thing that happens to you is someone uh, says something negative to you or you have a negative experience and immediately the clouds come and your mood changes and now the day is not so great. Those are emotions that are affecting that. That's, that's the problem with feelings. If our faith rests in how we feel, then it, it, it does not have a substantial foundation. It's changing. It's moving constantly. It's subjective. Our faith must rest in the word of faith. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Our faith must rest in the revealed, written, dependable Word of God. But that brings us to our second point about the Word of faith. It is dependable when we let our faith be based on absolute or known things. Is it dependable? If, if we let our faith be based on information that, that has some sort of doubtful origin to it? Well, sometimes that's the case. At some point in time, our faith is going to kind of come undone a little bit. And the reason for it is obvious that, that information in what we placed our confidence in and our trust in, we discover, is now not dependable. And our faith is weakened. Our faith is sort of crushed because it wasn't based on dependable information. But the word of faith in every point and every fact is dependable. Over the years uh, that I have been a Christian and had the opportunity to teach and preach, uh, it's been a privilege to read and study the word of God. And I confidently say to you, that I have found no reason whatsoever to believe that there is something questionable about what is found in the Word of God. Now, there's a lot of skeptics out there. You can, you know, with our technology and the Internet today, you can go find them real easy with a couple of Googles. And, and you'll find them, these, these skeptics, these modernists, and... and, and they can point out to you all the errors and all the contradictions that they claim can be found in the Word of God. And I've read some of them. I've done my due diligence, and I hope you have too. And, and we need to do that because we need to be studious, and we need to examine it. What does it say? What's their claim? But as I've looked at their claims, here's the, the one thing that it's proven to me, that these people are so anti-God and so full of themselves that that they just about say anything for their 15 minutes of fame. 
do not doubt for a single moment the absolute dependability of the word of faith. The wonderful Psalm, uh, Psalm 139, specifically verse 17, 139, 17, reads this, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! The psalmist shows this wonderful expression of confidence, this, this expression of wonder in God. And, and we should all have that confidence. We should all bow down before God in absolute amazement of His Word. And I'm not as well spoken as the psalmist, but, but I can say amen to what I read to you this, this evening here. How precious also are the thoughts unto me, O God, and they are. They are. Third thing I want to say about the word of faith is that it contains remarkable demonstrations of faith. And we could spend a lot of time this evening, you know, pulling out illustrations. In Genesis 22 is an incident that takes place that's, that's very familiar to all of us and, and very much so to our children too. It's the occasion on which God tells Abraham, you go to the place I'm going to show you and, and you sacrifice your son as a burnt offering. Genesis 22, verses 7 through 8. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for him the se himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Now Isaac obviously was a perceptive perceptive young man, wasn't he? You know, we're going to go up there and worship, and, and we're going to go up there and we're going to offer a burnt sacrifice, and I look around and, and we've got fire, we've got wood, but, but I look around and where's the lamb that's going to be sacrificed? And, and you listen to his father, listen to the confidence and the, the faith in his father. My son... God will provide himself a lamb for burnt offering. And so they, they went, both of them, together. Now down to verse 15 of Genesis 22. Let's read down through verse 18. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Isn't that wonderful? The, the confident faith of this man who had been told that that through Isaac, through your son, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And, and of this son and his seed shall this great nation arise. And now he's told, take your son, this son, and offer him as a burnt sacrifice. Uh, could you do that? I've I got to tell you, that would just about undo me. I've, I've thought about that before, if I could do that. What great faith. But that's the nature of faith. It's, it's the nature 
of the remarkable demonstrations of faith that are found throughout God's Word. Here's a man who unquestionably obeys the commandment of God, not realizing, not knowing, not being told what's going to happen, how that scene's going to unfold. His expectation is he's going to take Isaac's life. And he's quite ready to do that. He's quite ready to take Isaac's life. Hebrews 11 tells us Abraham was ready to do that. There was no doubt when the knife was raised, he was going to take his son's life, offering him as a burnt sacrifice. And the book of Hebrews says that. And he was blessed in the doing of it. There are remarkable demonstrations in Genesis 39 where there's another one of these illustrations in the life of a man who is one of the great heroes from the Word of God, and that's Joseph. And we remember this incident too. Uh, Potiphar's wife wanted to have a sexual relationship with Joseph. And in Genesis 39, verses 8 and 9, but he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Can you hear the confident faith in Joseph there? And, and that sustained him. That sustained him through a truly amazing life that we could spend a lot of time on that, that, that we don't have time to do tonight. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, Peter says we are kept by the power of God. 1 Peter 1, 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now keep those words in mind for a minute. We are kept by the power of God. Here's Joseph, back to our example in Genesis 39. He, he's hated by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. He's thrown in jail because of the false accusations of his master's wife. And then, of course, he's later elevated to be second only to Pharaoh in, in Egypt. And yet, he's living away from his family all the days of his life. And his father, who thinks he's dead, he's dead, is kept by the power of God. But if you've got your Bibles open there, you notice it, kept by the power of God. There is no keeping by the power of God apart from our operative faith. And that's what kept Joseph, God's power working through Joseph's faith. Great example, great example for us to think about and ponder on. Here's another illustration with Joshua. You know, I mentioned Joshua at the, at the very beginning in chapter 6 of Joshua, though. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all your men of war. You shall go around the city once. This you shall do six days. And, on, and, and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. 
It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Now what we read there is God told Joshua, I have given Jericho into your hand the city. That's great. So Joshua thinks, okay, let's go right up there to the gates, going to open up, we're going to march in, they're going to hand it right over to us. That's not how it goes. That's not what happens. And we look down to verse 12 of Joshua 6, and Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. Plain and simple, Joshua, verse 12 says, Joshua did what God commanded him to do. Now I want to suggest something to you. I've got a strong suspicion that Joshua, being a man of war, he could have said, Lord, you know, this is not a very good strategy you've got here. Um, we, we need to get off over here. We need to make some implements of war. We need to make some battering rams and some towers and the things that we use to capture a, a, a city. That's what we need to be doing because military, militarily speaking, this plan you've given me, Lord, doesn't make a lot of sense. And I also have this suspicion, he probably had men surrounding him who advised him, who were whispering in his ear saying, ear saying Joshua, um, Joshua, this, this is not a very good plan we got here uh, to capture this, this city. But what they didn't count on was the amazing faith of Joshua. What did he do? He got up the next morning and they began the march. And they did exactly what God told them to do. He confidently believed, you see, that that's the nature of the demonstrations of faith that are found in the word of faith. He confidently believed in what God told him and he did it. Hebrews 11, all of those wonderful names beginning you know, with Abel, names of people, but also, by the way, events, which were all focused on the amazing faith of these servants that we're referring to here, God's servants. So here throughout the word of faith, we we find demonstrations of faith, and those those demonstrations are there for a reason. They are instructional. They are inspirational. Turn to Romans chapter 15, and I want to read verse 4. For whatever things were written before were written to, for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Why are there, they there in the word of faith? They're there to teach us. They're there to inspire us. The only thing we need to remember is that these people that we are, have been talking about tonight that we read about in Scripture, they're just like us. The difference may be that they have much less information than we have about God and about spiritual things. But there they were, and they said, God said it, and yes, sir, we're going to do just that. And that's what they did. Why? Because God said it. That's why.
And we have so much confidence and so much trust in God that we know that if, if we do what God tells us, we'll be blessed. We'll be blessed by the doing of it. And then in the word of faith, we discover that it is purifying of the soul. It, it purifies the heart. But we need to understand that alone it does not purify. That faith by itself doesn't affect the purifying of the heart and the soul. Now, it, it is spiritually purifying, that's true. But what I'm simply saying is that there is more that is needed than just faith. As I've already mentioned, the faith of the scriptures that always that, that we read about is a faith that, that always receives the, the blessing. The one that always receives the blessing is the faith that is obedient. Obedient. So faith joined with obedience accomplishes the cleansing, the purifying of the heart and the soul. Faith if you, if you could think of it like this, faith and obedience are kind of like two sides of a coin. They're inseparable. They're joined together and they're inseparable. They belong together in your Bibles. 1 Peter 1.22 reads, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Fervently. Seeing you've purified your soul, that's what the word of faith accomplishes. How does it accomplish that? By obeying the truth. Are there illustrations of this in Scripture? Of course there are. Um, I'm thinking of Acts 10 and the, the baptism of Cornelius and his, his household. Peter came to him to speak to him, to preach the truth, Peter opens his mouth. He preaches the truth. Cornelius had faith. But what followed that? Cornelius' obedience. That's the nature of faith which purifies the heart. The word of faith is needed and it's necessary in the lives of Christian people every day. 1 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 6. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. We need the word of faith every day in our lives. One of the greatest concerns that I have in my time here and in my Christian life, in my service, uh, in attending numerous congregations over time, one of the greatest concerns that I have, and you hear me say this, this is not the first time I'm saying this here at Midway, I've said it before. The greatest, one of the greatest concerns that I have is the time we spend or the lack thereof in the Word of God. And the reason I even suggest that is, is I just look, I, I watch, I see the reactions, the behaviors, the decisions of so many Christian people. And they seem to indicate that there's this lack of nourishment 
of the word of faith in their lives. I worry about that. I agonize over that. I hope you do too about that particular problem in the lives of my Christian brothers and sisters. The claim that we make is a right claim. We are children of God. We've been baptized into Christ in obedient faith. But then we begin to make choices and decisions and, and behave in ways that signal nothing's happening. There's no growth, there's no development. And I think we can all understand that there's, there is going to be an occasional lapse. I, all of us experience that. And I'm prayerful that God knows that. But why did these things become fairly habitual in our lives? How did we allow it to get to that point? We're, we're just not being nourished. That's simple and plain. We may be reading the words, you may be doing that, but there's no nourishment taking place. Nothing's changing, nothing's growing. It's not just simply about reading the words. Again, for most of my adult Christian life, I've tried my best through my influence to make an impression upon my brothers and sisters in Christ of the need and of the necessity for the presence of the word of faith in their lives. We need to spend more time in God's Word. We need to let the Word develop within us and move us and cause us to grow and, and help us and lead us to make the right choices in our lives. And I honestly fear, frankly, that in so much of the time I've, I've failed to do that to make that impression, but I keep trying. The word of faith and prayer is my strength and it's your strength. When, when, when our feelings wane, and, and they will, the word of God sustains us. And, and the words, what comes to mind, the words of the song, trust and obey. That comes to mind. So tonight I want to ask you, does the word of faith sustain you in your Christian walk? I'm not asking you if you have faith. I'm asking you, is it an obedient faith? Please search your soul for the answer to that tonight. Have you obeyed the gospel? And have you been baptized for the remission of your sins? We stand ready to assist you tonight. Uh, if your faith has led you to that point. Uh, if you haven't been baptized, you're lost. And we'll be glad to assist you right here tonight. Is your faith an obedient faith? Do you, for some reason, need the prayers of the church? If, if we can assist you in any way, we invite you to stand as we sing.